Hello everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the creative and artistic side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, and today in Reykjavik, it's a beautiful, bright, snowy day. We've had some heavy snow across the last week, and it's beautiful outside, blue skies, crisp and cold. So I went out for a walk in the sunshine. The days are getting lighter. It was just a beautiful winter day, a perfect winter day. So I've been out and feeling fresh and happy to come and sit down as I do on a Sunday and talk about games for the show. And it turns out that over the next week, I think on Friday, it will be the second anniversary of the podcast since I started Gaming in the Wild a couple years ago. And so that's a, that's a nice landmark to have made. I'm really happy to have made it this far. And so I tweeted out for some questions and said, does anyone have anything they'd like to ask? And I've got, got a few questions that I'm going to answer from the listeners of the show that I'm, I'm really happy that people are engaging through me some questions. It's going to be fun. But before I do that, I'm going to just talk through, as I always do, a couple of games that I've been playing this week. Um, first of all, I've been playing every night for the last week. I've been playing a game called Witchwood on Switch. Really fun crafting game, a crafting adventure game in which you play a witch who's lost her memory and has to run around a strange world, casting spells and solving problems for people. It's been a really fun time. I've really enjoyed my time with Witchwood. And so that's going to be the featured game of the episode with a full review in just a bit. I've also been continuing to play Halo Infinite, a game that I kind of speculatively grabbed on Game Pass, not expecting anything big, not necessarily a big uh, FPS guy, but I got hooked. It's actually pretty good. And so I've been playing Halo Infinite some more on my Xbox Series S. It's running flawlessly. It looks great on a, a nice big 4K monitor. And I'm really enjoying the game. I'm clearing the map. I kind of check in, grab a, a vehicle, go tearing across the map and clear up some enemy bases, take out enemy targets, um, getting ever more powerful weapons. You can steal enemy vehicles. You have like a grapple and you can grapple a vehicle pull yourself on top, remove the pilot and take it over. So I've been having a great time with Halo Infinite, much more so than I would have expected. Um, I do actually remember playing Halo 1 on the original Xbox a long time ago, and I've been getting a little flashback to how that was at the time. I remember a kind of a Halo feeling, um, something to do with the, the giant ring in space that's the setting of all the Halo games with this strange kind of basalt hexagonal tiles that make up the ground all on different levels. It looks like a basalt rock formation. Um, and just the kind of uncanny feeling of being in space far away on a, a really strange structure, uh, fighting against these unknowable enemies. It was the flood in Halo 1. Um, but unfortunately in this game, the enemies are really kind of traditional space trolls that just kind of grunt and they're angry and they want to kill you and whatever. Um, and that's taking the edge off the story for me a little bit. Like the, the Halo feeling is actually something pretty tangible and special and unique to that game, I think. Um, no other game that I've played has quite summoned up that strange sci-fi, uncanny wonder that you feel. And I still get that in this game. Like when you get to the top of a mountain and look out across the ring in space, you do get a feeling of, of like, I just want to say, wow, because it looks so, so great. 
And it's like a natural landscape growing inside this strange hoop that's just floating in the void. And if you look down below your feet, you can see stars sometimes. It's really cool. So I'm enjoying Halo. Um, apart from those enemy bosses, I really wish that they had um, taken, that they'd swung bigger with the, uh, the enemies of the game, you know? Because the enemies of the game, they pop up all the time, they grunt at you, shout at you, gonna kill you, Spartan, whatever. And they're just a little bit like the Saruman orcs. I don't like them. They're, I tune out. And that's a shame. It could have been something really strange, some, some really strange and striking sci-fi presence, you know, but it's not. It's space orcs, so whatever. But Halo is cool. I've also dipped into a game called Dreamscaper. Um, it popped up on Kickstart, on, on um, Game Pass, rather, and it was an indie Kickstarter project. It's a nice kind of top-down dungeon crawler where the dungeon is actually a post-apocalyptic landscape. You clear small areas and go through different doors. Each door leads to a new area in a kind of a grid map um, layout. Um, a little bit basic feeling so far. Um, there's a really heartfelt note when you start this game from the developers, thanking everyone for supporting it from Kickstarter right through to console launch. So it's clearly a big deal for them, uh, and that's really nice. Um, and I do love to support indie games and lower budget titles, but this one, I don't know, it feels a little basic to me so far. There are a lot of good games in the dungeon crawler genre, and this one isn't doing a lot to distinguish itself so far. You have a sword attack, a bow, a bomb. You have enemies and bosses. Um, you explore different areas and get uh, roguelike style power-ups that you have to trade off with different perks. So it has a lot of those familiar game elements. Um, it hasn't grabbed me in my first session, um, but a lot of people are talking about Dreamscaper. It seems to have gotten people's attention, especially because it's come to Game Pass. But even before that, people seem to have been aware of this game. Um, so I'm going to give it a bit more of a chance. I played the first area, beat the first boss, and had a, had a, a good time. So I'm going to come back to that one, Dreamscaper on Game Pass. So that's what I've been playing this week. And let's get on and answer some of those, those fun listener questions. So the first question I've got here is from uh, Joe, who's a patron of the show. Hello, Joe. He's at New Dawn underscore games on Twitter. And he asks, what spurred you to start a podcast? Was it a spontaneous feeling that you just had to get your thoughts out on Kentucky Route Zero? Or was it an urge to create a community based on a shared passion for games or something else? And what's kept you going? And have you ever felt burnt out? Well, um, two years ago when I started this show, I was actually burnt out. I was on a... I was on a two-year leave from work. I suffered a, a, a real proper flame-out, full burnout, anxiety and all of that stuff, and I couldn't work. I was in a really bad way. Um, I've told this story before, but, but it, is, um, it is the answer to this question, so I'll mention it again. Um, so I was burned out. I couldn't leave the house. I had terrible anxiety. I was just in a real state. Um, and a friend of mine had suggested that I play the new Zelda game. Um, and I hadn't played games for a while. I'd been kind of off gaming, um, having moved to Iceland and sold all my kit. So I picked up a Switch, um, or at least a friend drove me to the uh, the store to buy one, straight back home again, um, installed Zelda on it. And for the next few months, I played Zelda every day for many hours a day. Um, and it was really a very healing experience for me, running around this beautiful landscape in Zelda, exploring this this vast world, 
and seeing all of those beautiful views that you get in that game, the mountains, the beaches and seafronts and stuff. And so that, that really kick-started my, my second phase of gaming in life, which is what this is. And after I'd finally finished Zelda, you know when you finish a really long book or you finish like a, a, a Netflix series you've been watching for years and you kind of feel like there's just a hole in your life? After I finished Zelda, I was like, oh shit, what do I do now? And so I, I looked through the store, picked up a couple of games. One of them was Hollow Knight. One of them was Kentucky Route Zero. And I started playing those, finished them, um, started looking deeper into the store, started investigating indie games, the, the rise and arrival of indie games. And it really just blew my mind how much gaming had grown up and developed and diversified since I last had consoles. And so um, as, as a journalist, I wasn't working at the time, but I still had a lot of thoughts that I wanted to get out of my head. I wasn't particularly feeling up to the, the concentration of writing. Um, and I had been listening to some other podcasts. I'd been listening to the short game. I'd f discovered Time Played 3HR. And I thought maybe I should maybe I should podcast to get my thoughts on indie gaming out there. And I don't know, to give me a little bit of structure in life, something to focus on, something to engage me and get me going. And the podcast was really that. So it was it was out of an urge to to heal really and to communicate. Um, and gaming had been such a big part of that. Um, and the podcast became a big part of that. I've since recovered fully and I'm, I'm back working in a new job and I'm back to full health and confidence and have the anxiety under control, did the therapy, did the work and things are going well now, but, but gaming and the podcast were a big part of that. Um, as for now, I, um, there, are, there are weeks where I, I don't really feel like I have anything to talk about, where I haven't quite finished a game or I haven't found the right game to talk about, but there always seems to be something. There's always a way. And as soon as I sit down in front of the microphone and start chatting, um, I'm really into it. I really enjoy it. So there are times when I feel a little tired of, of podcasting, but mostly it's just been entirely positive. Um, and every time that I do it, I really enjoy it. So I think that's just what keeps me going. It keeps me communicating. It keeps me curious about new games. It keeps me on top of what's coming out. I'm always, you know, looking at the new releases. So that's what keeps me going, really. It's just this ongoing interest in the medium of games. And uh, whether it's a mainstream game or something that's new, something that pushes the envelope in some way, there's always something new to play. And I'm just really in love with discovering this medium and uh, and tracking its development and all of the cool things that people do in all of the different directions that gaming can lead. So yeah, that keeps me going. Um, thanks for the question. The next one is from at Weekend Tweets one uh, That is, Lexi is always very supportive on Twitter and thank you very much for always liking the tweets and always chatting. Um, and they say, what is your favorite winter themed game? And I had to think about this one a little bit. There are a lot of games that have snowy areas, you know, like uh, Mount Hebra, I think it's called, and Breath of the Wild. Just this huge mountain with deep snow. You can snowboard, you can climb. There's lots of things to discover up there, like little lost cabins, um, strange little camps of uh, enemies, caves to discover puzzles to find, unexpected things. It's really cool. Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 starts in a really snowy area and you really feel the storm in that uh, game. The, the weather effects are amazing. Your horses are kind of struggling through this thigh-deep snow. Um, 
And also, I would say the Frozen Wilds, the Horizon Zero Dawn DLC, is really spectacular when it comes to summoning up the feeling of winter. Because there is this tribe that lives in the north of the map, and they deal with the, the elements, they deal with the snow, they deal with the storms, they personify the weather, and they measure themselves against it just to survive. Um, and the the amazing weather effects in the frozen wilds are stunning. Like the way that the sun glitters on the snow. It's like you can see each flake and the volumetric snow. So as you're wading through it, you see your body pushing it out of the way and kind of sliding down the side of a hillside with all of this snow just flying up and glittering in the camera. The frozen wilds is just wonderful. Honestly, I think it's my, my favorite part of Horizon Zero Dawn. And I'm very excited for the uh, the sequel that's coming up. But another game that sprang to mind is one of the first games I played when I was a kid called Fire and Ice. Um, it's a silly platform game on the Commodore Amiga. I think no one remembers this game, but at the time it was very highly rated. And you play like a cool coyote. It's like a mascot platformer, 2D. And the coyote runs along, slides on the ice, and throws these little ice beads that freeze his enemies. And I have actually gone online and found the game. You can find it. You can find Fire and Ice. Um, it's streaming in some places, like those kind of archival old game sites. And it's not as good as I remember, to be honest. It's really difficult, and the movement's a bit wrong. But Fire and Ice um, is a very sentimental game to me on the Commodore Amiga. I will always remember the time that we spent with that trying and trying and trying to get further. I don't think we ever got past the third world. It's very difficult, as old games tended to be. But that was a very memorable winter game. Uh, the next question is from Yellit C. He says, what trend in gaming faded that you wish would have stuck around? Hmm. I don't know about this one. I mean, let me think. That's a difficult question. What trend in gaming faded that you wish would have stuck around? Actually, I mean, there is a trend that did fade, but has come back, and that is 3D platform games. Um, I was a huge fan of 3D platform games, like the Mario 64 and Spyro the Dragon, like colourful 3D platformers where you, you get to look around and run around a funny little world talk to people and like bounce on their heads and just glide and all of these fun things. Spyro the Dragon was such a favorite of mine on PS1. And I've always had a really soft spot for 3D platformers. I, I just love them. There's something cozy about them. Maybe it's the time when I was playing these games. I have such vivid memories of playing Spyro the Dragon, where I was sitting on a giant beanbag in front of a little tiny TV on a PlayStation 1 with the CD spinning in the drive and just absolutely loving the game. Um, and so it's been really fun for me that that trend kind of returned, like playing Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart gave me that feeling. It gave me a flashback to that cozy, lovely gaming feeling, uh, a real strong atmosphere that I feel around those kind of games. Um, and I've been playing Super Lucky's Tale as well. I absolutely love that game. It's like just a modern version of Spyro. And it's so fun and just gives me such a warm feeling inside. So I'm really happy that, that 3D platformers are back. That's definitely a trend that I was missing when it was just out of fashion for so long. Yellit also says, what's your favorite special edition unique color console, e.g. the Death Stranding PS4? Um, I've only actually owned one, and it's one that I own now. It's a 3DS special edition. 
Um, and it has these cool wooden panels on it, like actual wooden panels with patterns burned into the wood. It's um, it's a, an official 3DS, but it has a Mario panel with um, a mushroom burned into it and a Mario burned into it. And I really love it. It's it's not one that I've seen around a lot. I got it on eBay for a normal price. It's in really good condition. It came boxed. And so I'm really fond of my, my Mario 3DS. I think that's the only special edition I've owned. Uh, the next question is from LeBruce, who says, what's your favorite game of all time that you haven't reviewed, and would you make a pod about it? Um, well, that's definitely Breath of the Wild. Um, I started the podcast maybe six months after playing Breath of the Wild, so I've never really fully talked about it. I mean, I talk about it a lot. People know that I love that game, and I mean, the podcast is half-named after it. Gaming in the Wild is a play on Breath of the Wild. It was the reason that I became interested in games. It was my my gateway into gaming again in my, my the stage of life that I'm at now. So Breath of the Wild is a really special one to me. It does have that story of helping me through my burnout and anxiety. I've never really talked about what I like about it. You know, I've never really mined into it and reviewed it as a featured game. I've mentioned it constantly. I guess everyone mentions it constantly. It's just a reference point for modern gaming that is inescapable. It changed the way that we think about games. And I think at some point I will review it. You know what? Um, I have a hundredth episode coming up, or at least episode number 100, uh, because there was episode zero about Kentucky Route Zero. So maybe for episode 100, maybe it'll be a Breath of the Wild special. There's a part of me that feels like everything that needs to be said about it has been said, and that people are a little tired of hearing about Breath of the Wild, but I don't know. I think I think I got some things to add to it. I've got my take on what makes it special um, and my journey through Breath of the Wild to talk about. Um, everyone plays it differently, you know, so I could talk about how I played it and the memories I have from it and just what is so special about it. It's hard to put a pin in the exact magic of that game. Many have tried, so maybe I will try to, either as a patron-only episode or as episode 100. So it's Breath of the Wild, and yes, I would make a pod for it, and maybe I should. Um, Hollow Knight would be another one. That's a game that I played before I started doing the podcast. Um, I've mentioned it a lot, obviously. It's um, the best Metroidvania ever made, I would say, including all of the Metroid and Castlevanias. Um, that's a somewhat controversial opinion, but I know that a lot of people out there agree with me. Um, I could cover Hollow Knight too. So there are a few games that I played before the podcast existed that I could go back and revisit. If people are interested in that, then let me know on Twitter. Tweet at me, tell me if you would like to hear that, or if those games have just been talked about to death. Maybe it's something I could do for my patrons as a patron special episode. If there is any appetite for it, let me know. So thanks to LeBruce for the question, and thanks for always chatting with me on Twitter. I love talking to all of you guys. Thanks to everyone who asked a question. And thanks to all my patrons. This is a patron-supported show. I will mention briefly that if you are a regular listener of the podcast, um, you are welcome to come to patreon.com slash gaminginthewild and support the show for a dollar a month or more if you would like. For that, you'll get occasional extra episodes, you'll get sale recommendations, and an invitation to join our Discord server where other patrons and uh, listeners all chat about what we're playing. It's a really fun little gang of people, really kind and pleasant corner of the internet. 
And if you are a listener of the show who would like to join us, it's patreon.com slash gaming in the wild to that. Thanks to all my existing patrons and thanks to you. If that sounds like something that you would like to do, I'll put a link in the show notes. And with all of that said, let's move on and talk about the featured game of this episode, Witchwood. So Witchwood is a 2021 game by Alien Trap, published by Whitethorn Digital. It's out on PC, PlayStation, Xbox, and Switch, and I played it on my Switch, where it ran pretty well, with the exception of one strange area that had a lot of uh, frame drops. Just one area, though, a little bit like the Deku Tree in Breath of the Wild. You'll know what I mean if you've, if you've been to the Deco Tree on your Switch. Suddenly the frame rate is halved, but for the rest of the time it ran great. Um, there were some loading times, but honestly it was pretty good. It felt good on a handheld. I think the graphical style lends itself. It's a top-down game, so it, it has that Zelda feeling in the way that you move around and stuff. Um, Metacritic has this at 7 out of 10 on PC, um, it has a few 9 out of 10s on PlayStation and Xbox. It doesn't have enough reviews for a score, um, for a for a meta score. But it has had a couple 9 out of 10s, but on, on PC it averaged out at 7 out of 10. How Long to Beat has it at 10 hours for the story, 14 hours for completionists. Um, my playthrough came in at somewhere around 15 hours, so I guess I was a completionist. Um, I did find pretty much everything I think you can do in the game. I don't think there is a stone unturned um, as far as my playthrough went, um, which speaks to how much I enjoyed this one. And the publishers describe it by saying, Witchwood is a crafting adventure game set in a land of gothic fables and fairy tales. As the old witch of the woods explore a strange countryside, collect magic ingredients, brew sorcerous spells, and pass judgment upon a capricious cast of characters. And wow, they nailed that one, honestly. That's that's about as good as it gets. Uh, my take on it is that Witchwood is a gothic crafting collectathon in which you play as an earthy bog witch who wakens from a cursed slumber with both her memory and her grimoire erased. She ventures out into a weird fairy tale world in which any problem can be solved with a spell or an object made from an ever more bizarre catalogue of resources. So this is a, a crafting game through and through, um, which means that, you know, if you've played them, you'll know. I guess the Animal... Um, I was going to say Animal Collective, but that's a band. The Animal Crossing fans of, of the world will understand this one. You'll be running around in a wilderness, you'll be picking stuff up, You'll be combining it to make more things that will enable you to make more things that will enable you to make more things, um, and they will advance the story eventually. So, this is a kind of game that I think is a little marmitey for people. Like it's a love it or hate it style of game. It's not a style of game that I'm naturally drawn to. Um, I have played a little bit of Animal Crossing, but it didn't stick with me. I played Cozy Grove for a few weeks and kind of enjoyed that one. Um, I played a little bit of Stardew Valley. It didn't quite stick, but I enjoyed it. I would say that Witchwood is the 
the um, the collectathon game that I have enjoyed the most, the resource management game and the crafting game that I have enjoyed the most. Um, and it has a lot going for it. It's a top-down Zelda perspective, and you play as this unnamed witch who wakens in her house, having lost her memory, her grand grimoire of spells and herbs and potions is empty. She doesn't know why. She has a metal helmet on her head, so you never see her face. She has what appear to be black wings that look like a cape, and her feet are like raven claws, and she scuttles around in the most funny way. She's like a bulky little witch that's half bird with a bucket on her head, um, who is clearly like an old lady, and she just uh, scuttles around the wilderness. Um, and she has a very fun personality. Like, she's like a no-nonsense grandma, so she meets someone in the wild, like a maiden staring into the lake. She'll be like, what's up, love? What are you doing down there in the mud? You'll get your dress dirty. She has, like, this kind of this uh, no-nonsense attitude that I really enjoyed, whether she's talking to a maiden or a king or a spirit of the forest. She's always the same. She's very enjoyable. And so you scuttle around, picking up toadstools, picking up sticks, and soon enough it becomes apparent that you're going to have to use these things you're finding. You need to create a trap for an animal to get a pelt, and the pelt will be given to a hunter, and the hunter will open the gate, and then through the gate you'll find the farm, where the farmer is having trouble with his crop, and so you need to make him a fertilizer. So you have to run around even more, finding more things to make the fertilizer, and then the farmer will give you some of his corn, and then you use the corn to make a trap for a bigger animal. And so the story goes on and on, and it unravels in this this ever-evolving collectathon. Um, and it's really fun. Like, it could be tedious. It's the kind of gameplay that is repetitive and you kind of have to pick up everything you see as you're running around this this uh, wilderness you see things everywhere you see mushrooms growing you see logs that you can hack with your hatchet you see piles of dirt that you can dig up with your trowel you see butterflies and fairies that you can grab with your net um, so you have a little few tools you have a few inventory slots um, and as you meet more people, you can hover over them. If you hover over the farmer, you'll see that he needs fertilizer. You can click on the fertilizer, see what the ingredients are, see where to find the ingredients, and then go out and find them. So the game, the gameplay loop is very much about encountering an obstacle or a person, and, um, and then crafting what you need to get past them. But I have gotten a little bit ahead of myself there. Let me tell you a little bit about the story and why you're doing all of these things. So you waken up in your lair, you come out into your garden. It's like a, a swamp. You live in a foggy swamp where, of course, a witch would live. And you meet a goat, a talking goat, who is standing outside of your house. And he's like, oh, you're finally awake. And the witch remembers nothing. And she's like, who are you, goat? What are you doing in my yard? Go and eat some grass, why don't you? And the goat says, don't you remember that we made a pact? Um, you have to go and collect four souls for me, otherwise I will never let you wake up. And then he puts you to sleep again. So the witch wakes up again, and she's like, hey goat, why did you do that? And he's like, like I said, we got a pact. And she's like, well, I guess I got no choice if you're going to keep putting me to sleep other than to go and collect your souls. Um, and so he tells you roughly where the souls are. The first one is in the forest. There is a portal by your house that you leave. It leads to a kind of a mystical hub with 
many portals all around. Only one is open. At the start of the game, it leads to the forest. The forest is beautiful. All of the game is beautiful, actually. It's hand-drawn. It has an illustrated feel to it. If you've played the game The Wild at Heart, you'll know this uh, beautiful, almost paper-crafty, illustrated um, style where it feels like every little detail was drawn by hand. Beautiful to look at. The animation is lovely. The sound is good, like your witch scuttles around and rustles through bushes. Um, and the, the, the birds that are around you make calls. Um, there's a funny kind of Animal Crossing-y burble speak that people do when you talk to them. Um, so the whole thing looks and sounds wonderful. And um, when you're in the forest, you have to find the soul that you're looking for. It's the stag or something like that. You go and talk to the stag. And I actually quite enjoyed collecting the souls because each one has a story. Each soul that you collect is a person that lives in this world who has some kind of vice or some kind of flaw and they've been either mistreating their subjects or they've been robbing people or tricking people. And the witch starts to notice that all of these targets whose souls you need to harvest are in some way harmful to the wider community. And she starts to get behind the mission. Like after you've collected the first soul, which needs you to jump through a lot of hoops. It needs you to craft a lot of materials. Um, but after you've collected the first soul, you'll go back and talk to the goats and you'll say, oh, well, you did it. Now go out and get me the rest. And the witch says, okay, then. And the goat says, what, you're not going to complain? And she says, well, seems like these people have it coming to them. And so it starts to stitch together this, this morality and this sort of social commentary where this witch isn't evil, but she's not good either. But she leans towards um, a sense of justice or a sense of fixing things and setting things to rights. Um, and that's what she uses her witchcraft for. And that becomes really enjoyable. It becomes a really enjoyable part of this game as your witch settles into her task and agrees to get on with it and does so with a bit of pleasure. spoil all of the characters that you meet in this game but I will say that once those first four souls have been collected there are more to collect there is more to the deal with the goats and there is more to the story of what's going on um, the witch's memory um, doesn't really come back throughout the game until the finale so you find out what everything is all about and it was a really satisfactory tie up to the game um, and there were times in the game where I felt like this collection mechanic was getting a little out of hand. It was like I was jumping through hoops because the, the things that you make get more complicated. There are some things like a, a shiny lore that you will need to use to attract the attention of a gnome. And when the gnome comes over, um, it will just blow up and you can collect its hat. So maybe you need the gnome hat for something else but it takes three ingredients to make the shiny lure, and then you get the gnome hat, and then you have to combine that with two other things, like, say, fairy wings and uh, dragonfly blood. 
Um, and you have to combine that into a strange like puzzle box or something. And then the puzzle box is one ingredient of three that you need to make like a book that lets you understand the birds or something like that. So um, a little bit like in No Man's Sky, which is the other resource collection game that I've spent the most time with, there are times when I was almost forgetting what I was doing because I had to mine the steel, which then turned into the steel bars, which then turned into a machine part. And the machine part was one of five things that I needed to create like an air purifier. And you can just get lost, sort of scuttling around, collecting and collecting and processing and processing, crafting and crafting. But the thing that I liked about this in Witchwood was that I learned that if I was gonna enjoy this game, I really just had to relax my mind um, to stop thinking of it in terms of story progress all the time to just take in this beautiful artwork and this beautiful music and to let it wash over me to get into the the uh, mundane pleasure of collecting running around the forest hacking logs to get toadstools setting traps to catch rabbits all of that sort of thing if you can just relax into the the simple pleasure of collecting things in a video game then you'll do okay with this one, I think. It becomes like a before-bed game or a game where you can, to some degree, switch your brain off. Um, it does have some clever mechanics that always allow you to see what you need next and also where to find it. So I think it, it really sidestepped a possible pitfall, which would be like if you needed red feathers. Each biome has different creatures in it, like the swamp has bugs that you can catch, the snowy mountains have these red birds. There are crows in the farmer's fields. Um, and there are crabs by the seashore at the docks. Um, and it would be very easy to just forget where the red bird is. Like, is the red bird in the swamp, the mountain, the fields, the forest, the farm? But there is this good little um, tooltip system where you can hover over the red feather and it will tell you. It will be like the red feather comes from the mountains. So you know that you have to set a snap trap up in the mountains and you'll get your red feathers within a minute. Uh, the birds always just fly down into your trap. Um, so it has a clever way of signposting what you need to do next. I never felt lost or very rarely. The only time I felt lost in the game was when a new biome would open up because all of the portals in the hub start out uh, closed. And to open them, you have to find your way into that biome through another biome. So for example, the forest leads to the fields and the fields lead to the farm. And then when you're in the fields, you'll find something like a mysterious tree stump and your witch will poke at it and that turns into a portal takes you back to the hub and now you have a way to go from the hub straight to the fields or like uh, in the swamp I think you find um, a hollowed out boulder with some strange algae inside and your witch reaches around inside it turns into a portal now you can go straight to the swamp so there is um, a little bit of exploration that goes on you have to go to the edge of each biome look for signposts that will lead you to somewhere else like the village the village leads to the market and as you find the biomes, the portals all open up and you can take little shortcuts. So if you suddenly find that you need dragonfly wings, you can zip through a portal, go back to the swamp, get some, and then go back to the village where you needed them for your spell. And I think that by now you will have probably um, decided whether or not this game sounds fun to you. It is a very specific kind of game. 
there is a lot of repetition. There's a lot of running around. There's a lot of resource management. There's a lot of collecting things. Like if you've run out of water at a key moment when you need to make a potion, that means you have to make a pot, which means that you need clay, and it means you have to go to a well and use your pot to get water. And if you're not up for those kind of slightly tedious little side t quests that you need to do um, to maintain your inventory, then it's going to get a little annoying for you. Um, there were a couple of times when I rolled my eyes. For example, there's a part where some of the, the things you have to do are crazy. Like you have to find a sailor who's sunken at sea. Um, you find out that he's in the belly of a whale. You have to find your way out into the middle of the ocean, cast a spell to get down there. And then there you are in the belly of the whale with this lost sailor. Um, and it turns out you don't have a pot of water. So you have to go, oh God, that means I have to go back to the forest, down the well, make the clay pot. And that happened to me. I rolled my eyes. I had to go out of the whale, back up, back to the beach, back to the forest, get a jar of water and then go all the way back again. So there are times when I was like, oh God, uh, this is this is annoying. But that usually just meant that I needed a break. I played this game in, I would say, one hour or two hour sessions. So probably, you know, six, seven, eight sessions. Um, and if you start getting tired of it, just take a break and come back um, and then get back into that relaxed collectathon mode where you just uh, chill and just let yourself fade into the repetitive, enjoyable task. Repetitive activities can be really relaxing, you know. It's kind of why people like ASMR. They like to watch someone folding sheets on a video. Um, it's like why people like those YouTube channels about things that fit into other things, like a mug that fits exactly into a hole in the road. People get really satisfied by the, this clicking together of things and the repetition of things. And if you are that kind of person, maybe a collectathon game is something that's going to appeal to you. And I'm not the target audience for this game, I think. I'm not an Animal Crossing fan, but this game hooked me in. The stories that it tells are based on old myths and fables. You will meet a unicorn, you will meet like a fairy queen. There will be morality tales about greed, about turning soot into gold, about um, vanity, about control and uh, contrivance and tricking people. And all of the souls that you have to collect have these great little sub-stories that feels like a book of fairy tales. So if you are interested in witchcraft, if you are interested in fables and gothic fairy tales, and like the Puss in Boots kind of thing, you know, all of those old sort of tales and Nordic fairy tales that are real gothic, that include people being turned into stone by looking in a mirror because they're too vain, all of these kind of things. This, this game is really... It's really packed with those things, those old, earthy-feeling myths. And that's a really fun part of this game. Um, and as for the downsides of the game, I think those few moments where the grind got to me, um, it's very much part and parcel of Witchwood grinding. It's the whole the whole resource collection grind is something that you're going to have to enjoy to to um to get on with this one. There were a couple of times where I felt like 
one scarce resource was demanded at a time that just seemed almost intentionally designed to have me traipse across the map to go and get it. So there were eye roll moments, but for the most part, I tended to have what I needed, and that speaks to, to good game design. Like I would meet someone in a faraway location, and because I had been in the fields and I'd been catching crows and picking up logs and mushrooms and uh, grain and milk from a cow, and it turned out that in the next area that's what I needed, um, I think that the game is designed so that you don't have to do too much backtracking. Um, it's also designed in a way that means you have to pick up everything you see, basically. There is no walking past anything. You're going to need all of it at some point. Um, and so if you're not into the tedium of that, if you're not up for switching your brain off and just collecting, you will have problems with this one. Um, the only other problem I got with it, really, is a little bit of technical stuff on the Switch. Um, when I start this game up, there's like a 30-second black screen. Um, I actually restarted my Switch a few times, thinking that the game had crashed. In the end, I just put it down and left it, and after 30 seconds, there was, uh, a strange-looking generic screen appeared that said, press any button. I hit a button, and then it loaded the intro of Witchwood. So I think that that's a porting problem. The Switch port has some strange technical stuff. Um, it also has an odd slowdown over time. Um, if you are crafting um, five clay jars because you need to have five bottles of water and five feather traps or five puzzle boxes or five um, love potions, you can hit the button. You hold down to create the first one, but then if you tap the button four more times, tap, 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 you will have made five very quickly, very easily. Um, you can't choose to make multiples at once. You have to hit the button the right amount of times. But if you've had the game open for a couple of hours, there is a pause between tapping and the thing appearing and all of your resources going down, the things that you used and the new thing appearing. Um, and that can grow and grow and grow. I think at one point I had left the game running overnight and I would tap, wait for one, two, three, four, five seconds, like that long for the thing to appear in my inventory. And so the game gets really slow over time. I would say that you have to restart Witchwood about once every one to two hours on the Switch. And that resets the problem. So I don't know what kind of a memory leak or something technical is going on there, but it really slows down the Switch over time. Um, so I would say you have to save and shut down Witchwood, save it to the title screen, close the game every time you finish and restart it every time you're about to have a session, close it, don't leave it overnight, um, don't go for the quick resume option because it will run slow. But that's really the only um, issue that I had with Witchwood, a little bit of technical stuff and the, uh, the nature of the beast grind. Other than that, I heavily recommend this game. I would like to say a big thank you to um, Just Work, W-E-R-K, a streamer who I sometimes watch. He's absolutely lovely, a lovely streamer. I will put a link to him in the show notes. He is where I first found out about the game Witchwood. He was playing it on stream. He's always playing some lovely indie games. He streams many nights a week, actually. So thank you very much to Just Work for introducing me to Witchwood. I would recommend it if you if you like crafting games, if you like witchcraft, if you like fairy tales, if you want something to relax with. This might just hit the spot. That's Witchwood.
So that's our episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing about Witchwood. I hope you enjoyed that little Q&A. Um, I would love to hear what you think of these games. If you've played Witchwood, if you've played Halo Infinite, if you're a big fan of Dreamscaper, then uh, please get in touch. Let me know what you think. I'm on Twitter at Gaming in the Wild. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube. I sometimes put up YouTubes of the podcast. But most of all, I'm on Twitter. That's the best place you can find me. I'd also like to say a big thank you to all my patrons. Thank you very much for supporting the show. It means an awful lot to me. If you are a regular listener, or whether this is your first time today, you can find that Patreon link at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. Come and say hello to us in the Discord. We're sharing our Wordle scores. We're talking about Forbidden West. We're talking about the games we're excited for in 2022. It's a lovely little corner of the internet. Um, thanks very much for listening, as always. I'll be back next week with a new episode. Take care of yourselves and each other. Bye-bye for now.